This is the DLR Cast, the essential podcast for fans of Diamond David Lee Roth. All right, welcome to the DLR Cast, where two guys are fans but not fanboys of Diamond David Lee Roth. I'm Steve, along as always with Darren Palchowitz. What's happening, Darren? Steve, it's great to connect and. There's been no slowdown in Roth news lately. Wow. No, no. And Darren, I'll tell you, this past week has been weird, confusing, puzzling, (laughs) and exciting. And I'm not talking about the presidential election. I'm talking about the release of David Lee Roth's The Roth Project. And what would you call it? A videographic novel, I guess? Let's let's set it up for folks who haven't seen it, basically. It's at uh, DavidLeeRoth.com. And what, what would you call it? Graphic, novel, video, how about mixed media? Mixed media, yeah. There we go. So so to kind of describe what this is all about, if you haven't seen this, I I mean, I was trying to put – I watched the whole thing. Now, we should say a couple of things. It's all the, the the all the artwork is fantastic. It's all yes. Dave's original artwork. We'll get into the music in in a second. The music is by Dave with a couple other folks involved, and it's definitely different. It's I guess you could <laughs> it's set a hundred years from now. I guess you can call it a dystopian sci-fi adventure tale about a time hopping assassin for hire. In fact, actually, if you if you go through the Roth it's at the rothproject.com you can get to it through the david lee roth official website but also at yeah. the rothproject.com another good way to describe it is is this is direct from uh, i guess the first chapter what happens when a self-informing artificial intelligence killer beca- begins imitating humans what if a human being started imitating that end result what happens when they finally meet each other well guess what you watch uh you watch and listen to this if you find out let me know because i couldn't really find out i couldn't figure it out the plot it's definitely different yeah i have critical thoughts on it but if you start on the positives you go like okay awesome to hear and new stuff from dave um incredibly original very talented voiceover guy. Speaking voice is incredible. He could do really cool things with his voice that you wouldn't really notice unless you pay attention to stuff. But I, I was falling asleep from you describing what the premise of it is. Well, I'll tell you, there's a couple highlights that you mentioned the voice stuff. And that's one of the first thing that hit me. I, I was just like, someone should have been tapping Dave to do voiceover work for years. I mean, if D Snyder can do MSNBC all these years and how many other people, I mean, Dave's just, he does multiple voices in this. You distinctly know it's him every step of the way, but he's the sole narrator. He does different voices. There's different characters. And as a vocal, as a spoken word project, it's really, really cool. As an art project, it's really cool. And we should say, too, that there's – well, let me back up for a minute because, you know, the other episode we were talking about one of Dave's side projects, and that's Ink Original. And all the press that hit his uh, tattoo skincare line and all the press that hit around that about a year and a half ago. And I went back and I was looking at some things, and I think it was either Vulture magazine or it was another kind of fashion pop culture magazine where he mentions one of the things he's working on is this graphic novel thing. And I didn't catch this a year ago, but when I went back and read it and I'm like, 
okay. I mean, I'm sure maybe I just glossed it over because how many times have we read Rockstar interviews where they're working something, <laughs> working on something so left field, and yeah. it never, it, it, you know, it, it rarely comes to fruition. Say maybe Paul Stanley doing the Phantom of the Opera, aside some other folks doing some other things, and I'm not talking about business ventures like barbecue yeah. sauce and <laughs> and you know uh, tequila. I got to cut you off there. The Paul Stanley's Soul Station, the album from Soul Station is going to happen. You go, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there you yeah, go. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but apparently it is done. It's in the studio. But a lot of times you read about these left field non-music things from artists and they never come to fruition. Well, guess what? This one did. It did. It is incredibly ambitious. It is probably the most invo- evolved, I shouldn't say evolved, involved thing that an artist could ever do this is the most highly produced artistic project possible uh kudos to him to to be able to keep it under wraps for such a long time because if a lot of artists are doing home demos you know news of that leaks to to involve these many artists sound mixers the musicians whose stuff got used and no one knew that it was coming unless they really paid attention to that vulture article. Wow. Yeah, I, I agree. It's, um, it's, it is truly ambitious and you could tell that a lot of money was spent, was spent on this. And back in the vulture, back in the vulture, I think it was article. He mentions, he talks, he, he, uh, created this, was working on this with some heavyweights in animation and video graphics and things like that. Yeah, uh, I also noticed a thing or two. Tell me if you noticed this. Do you remember when Dave was doing all of his interviews in that short period of time? He talked about the passing of his dog, about how his dog died. Yeah, in fact, I can't. The dog, his name is referenced in here at one point, and uh, I just spaced on the dog's name. Forgive I me, think but it's Russ. Russ, there we go. Yes. He's a corporation or two named after Russ. So he clearly loved the dog. They talked about the way the dog died was they basically fed it all this junk food so it could go out in a good way that they gave it milkshakes and all that. And that basically is referenced at a certain point in this where he's like, and we ordered two number two Happy Meals and milkshakes. So there's actually shreds of truth in what he's saying in all this. Some of the things that he says in this graphic novel are things he says about his real life in the interviews, even though it's 100 years in the future. True. And I do recognize a few lines from various uh, lyrics like he loves and he says this in the recent single that just came out somewhere over the Rainbow Bar and Grill. Um, the rhythm kitchen. He talks about the rhythm kitchen. What's cooking in the rhythm kitchen? Um, I remember that from a song from the DLR. Uh, geez, from the whatever that covers record was that we were talking about. Not too Diamond Dave. There we go. So, yeah. how, how about some Fire Scarecrow, which is the the chapter one title? Yeah, yeah, a lot of times. Yeah, I think that's the voiceover in that weird No Holds Barbecue. Uh, video that at one time when it, it cuts to the cartoon animated head of his, it says, how about some fire, Scarecrow? That's so, right. <laughs> there's that. Uh, the part about the, my name isn't Roth, it's Rothinsky or whatever like that. There's got to be some Ellis Island truth in that until he starts naming different last things that are clearly not his. But <laughs> There's some weird truth in here. Yeah. So the the whole thing was written and conceived 
by Dave. All the artwork is by Dave. And when you really – I mean some of this artwork, no bullshit, straight up. I like a lot. I love a lot of this stuff. I love the look of this stuff. I mean there's – it's pretty complex. There's some – really cool things happen in the artwork when you watch this go scroll by on your screen and for those who haven't seen it's not animated it's still images but it scrolls through as if it's it's not animated but it does scroll through along uh, across the whole story as the story goes along and he's narrating it so scrap what i said about the artists per se the animators in terms of the computer programming uh, it couldn't be a one-person job. There was a lot of money spent on this thing, and it's to us for free. Right. Yeah, that's the other thing, too. He's giving this away for free. I mean, it's available on the site, on on the uh, uh, on it through his website, no charge. So, and there are a bunch of people. Uh, there are a bunch of people he worked with on it in the credits: uh, composting, Photoshop, and lettering. A guy by the name of Colin Smith at PhotoshopCafe.com. Sound recording, editing, and design: Tom Sarowski. Uh, there's an inter- interactive design and development guy, Shane Melky. There's an executive producer. Uh, there's a bunch of couple. There's a couple different people all, all uh, involved in the credits here. And speaking of credits, we should talk about the music that's involved here because there is backing music throughout all of this, and all the music, uh, the musical score was written and performed by Dave and recorded at Henson Recording Studios, which is where he did all his vocals for for a different kind of truth. And yeah. as far as I know, that's where him and John five recorded the mythical album where that has not yet to be released yet, which somewhere over the rainbow barn grill apparently comes from. Yeah. That's so surprising that this is the project where instrumentals, a lot of that came from because isn't it like two days after he released somewhere over the rainbow bar and grill that this came out two, three days within a week. Yeah. And so while the score is all Dave, there's six songs, um, Credited here, Giddy Up, Somewhere Over the Rainbow Bar and Grill, sorry, five songs, Alligator Pants, Low Res Sunset, and Mandabala. And the credit is written by David Lee Roth and John Five. These, this is all instrumental music. So you've got the backing score, but then you hear these original songs, all instrumental in the background as well. And one song in particular that I keep that I knew instantly, I was totally familiar with right away an instrumental song i'm like i know this i know this well it's the backing music that is in i think most of his uh the podcast episodes not the first podcast he did a few years back but the one where he did about 20 episodes last year before he went out before he did the vegas stuff so some of this is familiar some of this has been out there before but it's interesting that there this is actual i'm curious to know when this was all recorded with john five because it's all it's it's not guitar stuff. It's it's uh, it's a bit all over the map musically. Yeah. One article that I had read said it was 2013, 2014 that he did the John Five album. Then another thing that I read said 2006, 2007 that he did the stuff with John Five. I think we were talking about it, about how one of the reasons that maybe this album never came out was the old line of you can't be in two bands at once, the Eddie thing. And that's why maybe the album of John five got scrapped, which would totally jibe with the 2006, 2007 sessions thing. Cause that would only be 
three years after the Diamond Dave record came out. That's true. Yep. Yeah. And let's face it, uh, artists were still doing the, the album every two, three years as of 2003, 2006. Now, it eventually evolved to the one album a year again as the excuse to tour and sell meeting greets and all that. Right, but right. We, we go back to that old topic of how much is in this damn Dave archive, not just the Van Halen archive, if we only got one new original song on the Diamond Dave record, and then there's these five, six songs that came out through this graphic novel, mixed media art, fine art, MMA, whatever you want to call it. Thing. I mean, when you think of it, there is so much. I mean, let's put it into two buckets, right? There's all the 5150 stuff that probably most of it doesn't have Dave on or even Sammy, right? It's like yeah. hours and hours of tape, most likely with Sam and Eddie and maybe some other folks who have stopped by and recorded over time. I mean, there's been people who have been in that studio, heard them play everybody from Steve Lukather to Sass Jordan to possibly i think mitch malloy other folks like that patty Smythe, right i mean so who knows what's there right so you got all that and who knows if that how much of that will, will see the light and day let alone just van halen demos or things that didn't make it onto records then you got the roth bucket now this is all over the place something because remember this isn't the first wacko video extravaganza we've seen from dave there is the highly bizarre and weird but a hell of a lot of fun uh, no holds barbecue, which apparently costs like six figures to produce and looks like it's all shot in Dave's backyard in Pasadena with some with the Doublemint twins and a bunch of dwarfs in, in machine guns. <laughs> yeah, I think I mentioned it during the Mitch Schneider episode. <laughs> yeah. I just come home from high school and a UPS truck pops up at my parents' house and goes, here you go. And then you open up and there's two hard VHS copies. And there was a note from Dave that said something like, uh, we don't know what this is. Enjoy. Dave Lee Roth. It was something like that. Was that – now, How did taking a side ramp here, how did you get that, those? they were. It was never commercially released. Was it – were you writing then, do, doing some freelance yeah. stuff in high school back then? Okay. I started when I was 16 and – the guy who kind of broke me and gave me my start, Mitch Schneider liked him a lot. And I don't know, maybe there was a little novelty of having a 17, 18 year old uh, on, <laughs> on these like media days and all that. So they were sending me records. And for some reason, Mitch's firm liked me back then. And or they just gave two copies to every single person because maybe Dave wasn't in vogue at the moment. So I got those two copies. I wound up sending one to metal sludge because I was trying to get on their good side back then. Like, Oh man, if they like me, maybe that'll break me into the music business. So I kept one copy. And as far as I know, never commercially sold. And they asked Dave about it being weird in an interview or two. He's like, ha, ah, yeah, ha, 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 you know, Oh, Okay, so maybe he knows it's not. <laughs> I don't know. Have you seen the whole thing? Oh yeah, it's just bizarre performance art. I mean, I, I, you know, it shot it in his backyard on empty streets of Los Angeles, which looked like it's at five thirty on a hazy mor summer morning. I mean, yeah. you know, it's if you're if you're a hardcore Dave fan like we are, you gotta watch the whole thing. And some and a lot of the music is there's some really interesting songs on there too. A lot of the music's pretty fun. There's a great acoustic uh, version of Mean Streets on it. Yeah. That's a really, really cool thing. And he's singing in fine form. And from that era, I think I was telling you offline, 
I think I found the mini tape of me talking to Dave in 04, interviewing him. I've never listened to it. I'm horrified about how bad it is, but I've sent it in for possible recovery digitization. If if it comes out, we're going to air it on here and I'm just going to cry. But I was going to say, we're going to have to premiere it on the DLR cast. So, so like I was saying, there's that DLR bucket, right? We got the yeah. No Holds Barbecue. Lord knows there's, there's a whole album done with John 5. There's probably yeah. other stuff. Who knows what's on the cutting room floor that didn't make previous albums. You've got this stuff. You've got oh, who knows what other multimedia stuff. Remember, this is a guy who, who handed in, what, an 800-page <laughs> manuscript for yeah. his autobiography that had to be whittled down to, what, 300, 400 pages? I, or yeah. I mean, I mean, it's 300 pages. I mean, so he's prolific in a lot of different medias. I mean, I, because I needed to get in a good mood yesterday and it's an always an instant mood enhancer. I had YouTube going on in the background and there's there is uh, the what is it? Uh, 50 rides on the love train, which is 50 <laughs> versions of the OJ's love train with different footage of Dave dancing yeah. in New York and his, and his house in Pasadena, all doing like warm up vocal exercise, which is really cool to hear his different takes on one of my all time favorite songs singing along with basically OJ's karaoke. On. I mean, that's out there on YouTube. Who thinks of doing this? You know what I mean? There's just the, yeah. the amount of stuff that we have never seen or might not ever see is is huge. That tape of him popping up in the mid to late 80s at a college football game. That just popped. I, yeah. That only came out, what, a week ago? Yeah. Where'd <laughs> that come from? I never even knew that existed. That came from, um, I discovered a week or two ago, some commercials he taped for Japan in maybe 91. Have you ever seen these? No, you got to be kidding me. I have to send them. They're, they're the typical like Japanese things like, this is never going to air in the UK it, it, or the US or anything like that. Here's a bunch of money. And it's like you just smile and your latest single plays while you're holding a product. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, for a long time, a lot of Hollywood stars did TV commercials over there that Brad Pitt, George Clooney, other folks, they would never do in the U.S. Here's yeah. Brad Pitt for Sanko, whatever the Japanese version is, right? I mean, Exactly, exactly. Well, Dave did, it looks like two of them that I found so far. I'll, I'll send you the links. But it's interesting to see all these things that people are digging up as of late. Hey, speaking of speaking of weird, weird stuff as well, I'm sure you've seen this. Um Take another detour into Paul Stanley land. Have you ever seen the Paul Stanley Folgers commercial? The best part of waking up on on a dawn morning with him singing. And then there's people on a trapeze. The best part of waking up is Folgers in your cup as Paul. Stan I mean, and it's him. He's in the commercial. It was around the Phantom of the Opera era. <laughs> oh, yeah, that I'm sorry to burst your bubble. I, I've seen that many a time. <laughs> it's who, who greenlit that one? <laughs> Oh, no. I imagine there's got to be six zeros, six digits in there, I hope. I mean, six to seven for sure. <laughs> good Lord. Yeah. I mean, we we could we could have whole podcast episodes about all the bad merchandising of of Kiss. And yet it's the opposite with Dave. You have to wonder, what are all the things that they turned down over the years? You know, a song like Everybody Wants Some in, I think, is it Better Off Dead? Oh, yeah. 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 You see that and you see Superbad had uh, Panama and 
the the song from the wildlife being in Back to the Future. There's a lot of that, but you have to imagine there's a lot of stuff that didn't happen. There, there's the old story of Bon Jovi talking about how the reason why uh, John Bon Jovi feels the reason why that he had a career is that he turned down all the bed sheets and the home appliance kind of merchandising. Yeah. I have Van Halen did too. Well, if you read the Noel Monk book, there's, an, there's a story in there that he tells at some point, first, second, third album, somewhere around that maybe it was at some point in the Dave era, they were – uh, Marlboro Light, Marlboro Cigarettes wanted a sponsor. I think it was Marlboro. I, I can't 100% sure, but they turned it down for, I mean, it, it, they turned it down. It sounded like to me that it was just, uh, I'm not sure if they wanted something bigger or for more artistic reasons, but I mean, back then in the 80s, uh, sponsorship was really uh, kind of a new thing. I mean, people, you know, the Rolling Stones made waves in the what was in the, in the early '80s for taking yeah. some taking sponsorship money to help underwrite a tour. I mean, when you think about mass of those Van Halen tours, it was all, you know, they recouped obviously, I'm sure, but Lord knows they spent, you know, probably two million dollars setting that thing up before they even sold a concert ticket. Yeah. So yet again, we reached the so many questions. So <laughs> wall that we usually hit where we go, what is left from the band? Is it feast or famine? When are we going to get more from the band? We don't know. And it, it kind of shocks me, though, how few people paid attention to this Dave project. I, I still don't know what to call it, but. I haven't heard anybody talk about it. Has it been circling on your orbit at all? I mean, not so much. I mean, I think I, I discovered it on Facebook, I think. I mean, but certainly compare that to a week prior somewhere over the Rainbow Bar and Grill. I mean, that was – I'm assuming – you know, who knows if he's working with a publicist at this point. I mean, you know, he could put music out there and just send it to a couple people or have somebody, even a part-time publicist, send it out to a couple people. And it's going to go viral pretty quick. I mean, especially – a few weeks after Eddie dies, right? And he he did that. Uh, you know, first he had a little bit of artwork mm-hmm. that was somewhere over the Rainbow Barn Grill, and then the music. I mean, I don't necessarily know if there's a strategy to all this. I think <laughs> it seems to be. Uh, this seems like a cool way. I want to put this out now. You know, I mean, maybe there was for somewhere over the Rainbow Barn Grill. I mean, he didn't ex- expressly say it was dedicated to Eddie, but that's that was what pretty much people were, you know, taken from that. That's that's a good point or a good thought. He probably wakes up and goes, I feel like putting out some music today. It hey, could be all the iTunes guy. Yeah. I, I mean, mean <laughs> there is I mean, there is some premeditated stuff. Remember the New York Times thing back in what was it, August or September? I mean, yep. so obviously you're dealing with a publicist who can get you in New York Times and then they recorded it back then, but as we saw after Eddie died, there was the there was the thing on CBS Sunday Morning yes. that was clearly done the same time the New York Times was. I mean, they maybe they got some feelers out there. I mean, he did a lot of press around Ink the Original, so yeah. I, I mean, he can still command some attention when he wants to. It's nice to see some attention to some artistic music endeavors like that one, the one off track. Now, when does the album come? And then this thing, I mean. <laughs> you know i've seen nothing on this and i've seen just tons and tons and tons of stuff about the archivist that went into the warner vaults talking about music that doesn't have plans to come out and everyone talks about that and then nobody's talking about the thing that actually comes out right 
Right. I th- you know, yeah, that's uh, I'll tell you. But how do you really how do you compete against in light of Eddie dying? Because, this, uh, you know, one of the first things people are going to think about every time an artist dies. But, in you know, certainly this time with Eddie is like, OK, what's going to come out? Right. What's uh, you know, it's just a natural thing you think about. I mean, that's that's what happens. Box sets come out and unreleased yeah. stuff comes out. And this is and. And the big speculation, of course, this is a band with Dave and with Sammy as well that, you know, notoriously kept every notoriously kept everything under wraps like we've talked about before, including their musical output just was not that much over 40 years when you think of it. Yeah, I I am responsible for some fake news uh, that happened. Ah. Uh, I interviewed Butch Vig a week and a half ago. Um, you know, the the drummer of Garbage who produced yeah, sure. Nevermind by Nirvana. And I just had a moment where I went, eh, he's a really nice guy. He's answering everything I'm saying. I got some time here. I'm going to ask him if him being just a top rock producer, he ever heard anything from the Van Halen camp. And I was expecting him to, to go like, nah, you know, good guys, though. But no. And he goes, uh, they asked me to produce the album, you know, AKA a different kind of truth was floated to Butch Vig and people turn, people are like, Oh, they're, they're difficult. There's a bunch of jams to listen to. Don't do it. And he said that Dave Grohl and Tara Hawkins were going, you should do it. You should do it. <laughs> but ultimately he turned it down because he heard that they were trouble and it was just lots of jams to listen to. And I didn't follow up with the questions to go, what did they sound like? What were the songs? But I just have to assume that they were leftover tapes that were uncatalogued and and that's what he got. So I put that out there. I just put the video of it on my YouTube channel. I didn't even make it an article yet. And then all these like uh, things, Ultimate Guitar and Metal Castle and all these things just start <laughs> picking it up. And then the headlines just get meaner and meaner. They're like, Butch Vig says no to Van Halen. Oh, my God. <laughs> And now I'm thinking, oh, no, is Butch Vig going to hate my guts? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's how fake news kind of starts. But. I, that's real news, my friend. I mean, that was a quote. Come on. He yeah. told you this. But so what I'm getting at is Butch Vig was asked to work with them. Then I had that interview like a month or so ago or asked Desmond Child and they asked him to work with them. And we saw all those articles. Ozzy claims he was offered the spot. Patty Smythe, no, I was offered the spot. They had to have been jamming with all these people. You know that Fred Durst jamming? Yeah. Gun on me story. Somebody else had to have been recording all these things. Because, you know, Mitch Malloy released the demo of Van Halen. So even if the Van Halens kept it mum, engineers have to have these things yeah i mean i'm sure there's ndas out there all over the place for all these guys too right i mean the fact that the mitch malloy thing surprised me i'm like how the hell did he get away with it get 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 a tape out of uh 5150 right i mean and it's great <laughs> it is really good yeah yeah so i think that we are still going to hear more anecdotes in the future of I jammed once with Van Halen, like even Sebastian Bach had a story where he claims that he wanted to audition and there was interest, but they didn't want him around Eddie because he smoked pot. Yeah. I heard that recently. I don't know how that makes sense. Uh, 
I'm still hopeful that we're going to get good, good stuff and that we're going to see stuff like that Sinatra video that has Eddie and Dave in it. I think that there's more stuff that's going to come out that's just low key. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm hoping I'm hoping that as well. In in due time, I'm sure they no doubt have a lot to go through it all. I'm sure there's probably some legal stuff as well. I mean, who is who actually has I mean, you know, if there's jams out there, is it published? Is there different things? You know, who has who you know, who has the writing credits on it, who has refusal? I mean, there's I mean, what you know, I would bet you as much I would bet you Dave's got some stuff, some tapes. I mean, you know, yeah. there could be tapes of the backyard concerts from way back when, you know? That's a good point. That is a really, really good point. There has to be backyard stuff, even if it's poor quality. I know from um, David Krebs, who managed Aerosmith and, and Ted Nugent and the Scorpions, a, a project that I advised on, or really he just asked me to do some research. It sounds like he had recordings of Texas Jam. Wow. And was just like looking for the right bidder or the right person. And of course, that also had Aerosmith and Mahogany Rush. Yeah, Ted Nugent, maybe, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah, so those tapes definitely exists somewhere now if they recorded van halen properly that's another question but hey i'll take fourth rate van halen live recordings from 78 i I was just thinking are there rehearsal tapes out there because van halen was apparently i mean Dave has talked about this before in interviews, but they were they worked their asses off. They were incredibly well rehearsed. You can't do what they did even just coming up on the Sunset Strip doing that many shows without rehearsing like madmen. I mean, they got more than their 10,000 hours in. I mean, you know, so who knows? Did they ever did they tape some to go back and listen to to check out to work on different arrangements? They had to. Right. There's a yes and no, because you know how Dave always brought up the video camera on stage and like, you're all on. We're recording this for TV. And it was like there was no film in the camera. It's like that's the no. But Chris Holmes said something in an interview recently that Van Halen, the first uh, they did their dress rehearsal for every tour at the forum. And it's just like the fans and the friend, the like close fan friends knew about that. Have you heard about that? Yeah. Well, you know, on YouTube, one of the things that got me so excited in 2007 was on YouTube that uh, that family and friends show at the forum went out on YouTube. And I was like, I don't know if it's still out there, but I distinctly remember it just like freaking out going, holy shit, this is real. This is happening, you know, and it was just and. It's like, yeah, and it's real and it's good. I mean, they were it was a friends and family, you know, the last tour rehearsal thing. So but I never I so that I know exists, but I didn't know about previous tours. I mean, did they do that for 1984 or, you know, probably not. Probably. I don't know that. But hear Jim Florentine's story about uh, the Cafe Washo. No. Oh, uh, no, but this that was the one before a different uh, kind yes. of truth came out. Uh, his, his Uncle Manny was still alive then. Dave's Uncle Manny was still alive, was in the audience. Exactly. They did one show for kind of media and a couple of VIPs. And for some reason, Jim Florentine was on the guest list and he took the comedian Jim Norton and media was allowed there. And Jim Florentine parked his recorder down on a table I think whatever he used to track some interviews for his podcast, he put it down, he recorded it, 
And then he just once upon a time, I think, shared audio of one song and word got out to somehow to Van Halen management that Florentine had recorded the whole show and they reached out and like they said, well, Dave wants it for his archives. And he they said, how much do you want it for? And Florentine went free. Here you go. Love you guys. And they went, wow, that's amazing. Here's merch, free tickets for life. But that means that Dave has an archive. He does care. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, oh man, just the the amount of stuff that could be, you know, we speculate a lot, but for good reason because you just don't necessarily know. I mean, you know, Kiss did a box set, ACDC did a couple box sets. There's yeah. an Aerosmith box set. I mean, there, name another band with this kind of legacy. And this kind of influence as Van Halen has, Dave and Sammy, that has had so little work done with their catalog. And what's I mean, there was the remasters and a couple greatest hits album. I mean, it's criminal. Yeah, it's the exact opposite of the Doors, who were together for like six years. Yeah. And they're still pumping out live recordings of them. <laughs> with Hendrix. We got a live album of Hendrix in 2020 that never came out 50 years after he died. It's really the opposite of that. It's you got sublime Hendrix, the doors, you got that. And then the other end of the spectrum is Van Halen. Uh, is anybody else's tight lipped? Um, I mean, it's, it's, you can't think of it, right? I mean, you know, what's interesting too. And I, I was, I was watching and I had never seen this whole thing because I've always especially back then I was at such in the Dave camp, but I was watching a bunch of stuff from live without a net in 86. Yeah. And I stopped to think, I went, Holy shit. They did a live concert video back then. Yeah. Right. There's never been one since. I mean, there's a live album they did with Dave, the to- uh from, uh, what was it? The, uh, they, a couple of years ago, that was basically, yeah. I mean, they did no punch-ins, no overdubs or nothing. And people love to shit on that. I happen to love that, yeah. that album. Some of Dave's vocal performances, I think, are fantastic. And I'll just leave it there at that. We can dissect that another time. People love to hate on that. But that's just, I mean, come on. There's a whole cottage industry of people <laughs> who haven't listened to Dave in years but say he sucks right now. So fuck them. But uh one of the things I was thinking of also because I saw something come up on Instagram and it was some fairly well shot footage of I think it was Montreal from the Edom and Smile tour. Mm-hmm. And that's another criminal miss right there. The fact that there was never a home video back when video home con home video concerts, VHS was a big thing in the eighties. How cool would the skyscraper tour have looked with a full on can you imagine a full concert video where you sh- you know there's that fast speed uh, footage of the set being built you know yeah. starting from starting from load in during the day and then the lights come down and there's Dave and you got the surfboard and the boxing ring and you see the Bissonette brothers and interspersed all sorts of stuff I mean that was such a visual extravaganza what a miss that they didn't do a freaking home video for that or let alone eat him and smile. Is, is does that exist out there? It's never leaked. I mean, there's there's fan footage and stuff out there, but there's never been, um, as far as I know, any there's never been a home video release. And on a side note on that, and I'm way on a freaking 
down left field here. I'm but, in left field too. <laughs> but but there but there's some Japanese tour footage. I think it's Japanese tour footage. Yes. From yes. Eat, from Skyscraper where they do a version of the Beatles. I've seen a face. Yeah yeah yeah. yeah. And it's they're all playing crazy. acoustic guitar. They sound amazing. The horoscope. The horoscope. Jesus Christ. The harmonies are fucking incredible. Yeah, and I didn't know where that came from. I that I didn't know. There's it's weird what there is and what there isn't. It right. seems like he was filming everything when he first went solo with the crazy from the heat. It seems like they filmed a ton for eat him and smile because I remember home video. There's him and another guy like sitting there in like sunglasses in front of a tiki kind of background. He's just, I don't want to be sued for libel here. He's he's coke rambling a little bit. Like, <laughs> he's introducing music videos. I think it's from a home video release. One of those where it just has like two or three music videos. I know what it was. I had one of. The, I think it was it was this video series called Hard and Heavy. I think it was. And it was okay. it came out a couple times a year, and it had some interview footage. There was one I used to have one it was on VHS for years, and it, there was one from around the. Um, uh, a little ain't enough album if i remember and they would package up whoever did it would package up a bunch of i think it was called hard and heavy a bunch of package up a bunch of yeah. hard rock interviews and things like that on a video on a vhs tape and sold in record stores i guess i've but, seen warrant stuff of that that was actually pretty interesting yeah where they were talking music but i have to figure that if the the way to get Van Halen and or David Lee Roth to actually issue something, te- correct me if I'm wrong here, if enough people crowdsourced all the stuff and made a almost bootleg thing with an almost release date to it, they're not going to want to leave a dollar on the table. It's going to happen. I suppose, but one, that'd be like herding cats. Two, there, <laughs> there is a lot of stuff on YouTube if you look for it, especially from the different kind of truth to, from the tours when Dave came back because everybody had cameras and cell right. phone cameras the last 10 years, right? Um, but as far as, you know, and so there are some things out there that, what is there, the Oakland show from 78 or whatever, or 81, I think, that's pre- that's pretty legendary. Three or four songs. Which yeah. Thing. But why would they have only filmed just three or four songs? Good question. Where's the rest of it, right? The union guy was uh, looking at his wristwatch. No, they had to have filmed the whole show. But where is that thing? Exactly. Uh, all right. Well, let's take it all the way back to the RothProject.com, and then we'll get out of here. I mean, <laughs> what's after? Is there a, is there a sequel to this? What's next? I'm not, I, if I could tell you where the plot went, I'd tell you if there might be a sequel for this. I've really tried hard to figure this out, but. I mean, I can't tell you I'm a big sci-fi fan anyway. Some of this reminded me of like the Terminator and stuff, but what comes after this? Who the hell knows? Yeah, when I when I have to do my interviews, sometimes you have to watch a film and it's it's so brutal. Uh, (laughs) This is kind of like I watched it because I didn't want to be much less prepared than you. And (laughs) 15, 20 minutes, I should. I'm sorry, Steve. You know how much I love Diamond Dave. Of course, I know. Oh. I mean, pod, podcast or not, I would have watched it. I think I gave it a little bit more of a chance because I knew we would be talking about it. But, man, I mean, I give it an A-plus for artwork, for yes. effort. Um, I just – I did not know Dave was a big sci-fi sort of 
yeah. futuristic dystopian sort of guy, you know? What I like David Lee Roth for uh, is the the wit, the banter, the personality, which I'm really just using synonyms here. <laughs> and there's there's plenty of that uh, in here, but I want that as part of the music. And just on its own, it's kind of like when you hear that first interview when he comes back, it's super exciting. And you hear that second interview when he reemerges, it's like, oh, that's great. And then the third one, you kind of feel like, oh, he's repeated some stories here. Right. right. The fourth one. Oh, OK, well. Mm. And then the fifth one happens. And you go, oh, OK, where is this going? I, I tried. I tried. <laughs> I, I just I love him for the music. I love the book. The the autobiography still holds up. I love the music videos, but he needs an editor. <laughs> well, I'll well I'll tell you, I'll take that crazy journey with Dave just about anywhere. I mean, you know, this was kind of cool. Will I go back and watch it again? No. Uh, I don't know, but. On that note, <laughs> on that note, uh, you, you, the recurring theme here is uh, you're nicer and more patient than than I am. Hey, actually, the recurring theme here is more content. Bring it on, whether it's new stuff from the vaults. Sure. Dave, Dave, we want to see it. We want to hear it. We want to read it. We want to watch it. So, uh, you know, throw it out there, man. That's what he does. Right. It's if it Adam, if it's your whimsy, if it's if it's your muse, man. Throw it out there. Artwork, podcast, multimedia extravaganzas. I'm happy to try to consume it all. Throw it out there or we're going to have to crowdsource a, a bootleg and <laughs> you're going to beat us to the punch. Exactly. Well, as always, we end just, just about as always, we end laughing. And uh, of course, uh, thank you for downloading and streaming and all our episodes are available. Well, this episode is available everywhere. Podcasts are available. Yes, thank you everyone for listening and for tolerating, and we'll be back with an interview or two in uh, the near future. Thanks a lot.